Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and with the Blue Jackets being the talk of the league through the trade deadline, this is a good as good a time as any to uh, take some time to properly check in on them and, and see where they're at and discuss some of the moves they, they did recently. And so I thought that the uh, only logical person to do that with would be the team's intrepid reporter who covers the team for the Athletic Columbus. It's Allison Luca. And Allison, what's going on? <laughs> Not much. How are you? Thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited about it. I mean, you and I discussed the team at length back in July, I believe. And uh, I actually went back and listened to parts of it as I was preparing for this, just to kind of <laughs> gauge what we were talking about. And, you know, I think we were definitely on on point with like circling the big theme as these questions with the impending UFAs and sort of discussing which direction the franchise would go as they approach this monumental fork in the road moment for them. And I guess now after the past couple of days, we definitively have our answer on uh, how they would decide to go. How many things did I get wrong on that podcast? I'm sure plenty. <laughs> well, you know what? I think I think we were generally pretty good about it. Um, I think the one thing, and we'll get into this a lot later, but I think yeah. maybe we didn't account for um, the season Sergei Bobrovsky would be having right now. I think we were mm. a, a bit higher on him, and with every reason, considering his track record and how he played last year. But I think... I wonder if he had been having the type of season this year that he's had in the past. I wonder how different this discussion would be and how everyone would be feeling about this Blue Jackets team. But I, I'm kind of curious to pick your brain about how, like, what the vibe is locally and, and how fans of this team are feeling about this. Because obviously, you know, you're going to have jokes from from people on the outside and, and kind of wondering about the possibility of how, how this could go wrong in terms of if they don't make the playoffs or if, you know, everyone leaves this summer. But I'm wondering sort of from the fan base itself, because obviously, you know, this would be kind of a, a, a vote of uh, confidence by Yarmo and, and the team over there in Columbus that they're finally going to go for it and try to make something of this season. But obviously, when you've been going for nearly two decades now on very little postseason success, I imagine there's like an element with a fan base where you're just kind of bracing yourself for the worst possible outcome. 
<laughs> yes. I mean, I think it leading up to the deadline was was kind of crazy because it all seemed to still kind of be going to a plan where you could see most likely Artemi Panarin moved, maybe Sergei Bobrovsky. So, you know, they trade for Matt Duchesne. Okay, that's great. But yes, you're going to need a, a flashy big talent when Panarin goes just to replace what's going on there. That makes sense. Oh, hey, now you're getting Ryan Zingle. I think as the days went by, people just were kind of incredulous, myself included. <laughs> this was the path. Um, and then I think it was just, there was a period of wow and holy crap, I can't believe they're doing this. And if you look at the fans in particular, then this team loses to Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Right. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, and, and, you know, God love fans. There's a reason that they're so passionate and there's a reason that's what makes the game fun. But I think now it's going to be a, do or die on every single game because this is a team last year that makes three kind of middle of the road moves and just comes out of the gates roaring after the deadline. They beat Washington at home the day of the deadline and then they go on a win streak. They just dominate the final quarter of the season and that's not what happened Tuesday. So now everyone's like, oh, see, the sky is falling. We should have never made those trades. And then there's, oh, no, it's going to be fine. It's just one game. So I think every game is just going to be a roller coaster first until they lock in a spot in the postseason. And then, gosh, it's just going to be white knuckles right. <laughs> for the fan base when they're out. Well, that is an interesting kind of component or wrinkle to this that I guess gets swept under the rug a little bit just because it feels like when a team makes these types of moves where, you know, they're getting all these rentals and they're giving away all these future assets, it's a move that we typically think of, you know, one of the best teams in the league that already has their playoff spot solidified making to further improve their chances of making a long playoff run. But with this Columbus team, I think after that loss uh, to Pittsburgh that you were alluding to, they're down to 76.4% chance of making the playoffs, I think, according to sports club stats, which is obviously in their favor still. Um, but it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to make the playoffs in the first place, right? And then I think that's kind of the thing that's that's makes this so much more intriguing uh, because it is an even bigger gamble on Yarmo's part just because... There is no given that they are going to make the playoffs. I mean, there's only three spots really there for the Blue Jackets, the Hurricanes, the Canadians, and and the Penguins. And I think none of those teams are perfect by any means, but they're all good enough to be playoff team caliber teams. So it's going to make these final 20 games for them um, remarkably interesting. And I imagine that they're probably not going to achieve that first step you mentioned of locking down the playoff spot until probably the last week of the season if they do so. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, my colleague, Tom Reed, wrote a great piece on this after the deadline. This isn't, in our perspective, just a, a picture of what management thinks of their team. This is such an interesting commentary on what they think of the division, right? right? Because they don't do this last year, and they do do it this year. And this, this is a signal that... Washington isn't maybe quote unquote Washington of previous years and Pittsburgh certainly hasn't looked like Pittsburgh of previous years. So there's the risk of what you're doing in house, but you know, you're looking at the competition and, and it is crazy to your point. I mean, when they acquired Matt Duchesne, they were out of a playoff spot. They win a game, they go to third, right. <laughs> they, they win a game, they stay in third, they lose a game, they drop out. Like you said, like every game is just, the margin is so small. So I, that's what's been interesting to me too, is to, to look at what this tells us that the front office thinks about the competition out there. I, 
at the end of the day, I think they are going to make it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that's how it's going to shake out. They, they are a good group and they got better, um, but it's going to be interesting. And of course, God help this fan base if they get second wild card right and face Tampa in the first round. Yes, yes, that would be uh, definitely less than ideal. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I've seen people kind of talking about it, and the discourse around all these moves is hilarious because there's I think it's all about sort of um, relative expectations or perspective because there's people that are like, oh well, you know, if you have a chance to go win a Stanley Cup, you have to go do it, and that obviously is the ultimate end game, and every team should ideally be trying to do that at some point. But I think for this Blue Jackets team who does have never literally won a playoff series before and has five total playoff victories, like I imagine just getting it over that hump and having one of those under your belt would be a great start and an accomplishment. But considering the price they paid, like how do you think people are going to treat this situation? If let's say they make the playoffs, they avoid being that second wild card, So they get a bit of an easier matchup in round one and they potentially even advance, but then they lose in like five or six games in round two. Do you think people are going to care about all these picks that were given away? Or do you think like, I'm just curious what, what, what uh, the vibe is going to be like, especially locally. Yeah, locally for sure. I think if they don't win a first round, it's it's going to particularly right then be a disaster. Um, I think the second kind of phase of evaluation is going to occur all the way up to July 1st outside of the draft, right? So let's say they don't win a playoff round. That will stink. But if Zingle, if Duchesne sign with Columbus... I think that softens that blow, right? Because it doesn't feel, it mitigates the degree to which it feels like, oh, here we go again, or worse, a step back. But I think that, in my opinion, I have said, I think that this team needs to win two rounds to quote unquote justify the moves that they've made. And further, again, signing at least one, likely two of these four unrestricted free agents is going to be really important because I think that's part of this too for this group is this is about a national look. This is about national respect, which ultimately should come with winning. Um, but this is a team that now is going to have a ton of cap space come summertime in theory. And they're going to want players who want to play in Columbus with this team. And so they need to have a reputation that draws a player who has the talent they want to say, I can come here and win and I want to come here and be part of this team. So that that's part of this too, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's going to be obviously, uh, I guess, dependent a bit on how the rest of this plays out and what their season end of the end of their season result ultimately looks like. But I imagine, you know, it, it does seem like Panarin, it probably has gone at this point just because yeah. he's made his intentions clear and that's perfectly fine. I think, you know, the Duchesne, component of this is interesting we saw a ton of this at the trade deadline where it seemed like every one of these big trades involving rentals had some sort of a conditional pick attached where if the player resigns with the team that traded for them the pick improves dramatically and especially in this case where it's not even like it, it goes from like a third to a first or a second to a first it's it's the difference between having your 2020 first round pick and not and you know Duchesne is definitely a heck of a player and having him will certainly make your team better than not and and especially with the way the Blue Jackets are currently constructed this year where they have that top line being able to slide him in as a, as a secondary guy I think really suits him really well but I'm curious to see let's say they have that type of a result where they make the playoffs and they either lose in round one or lose in round two or what have you, um, how hard they do internally push to actually retain Duchesne, acknowledging how big of a swing that is with that 2020 pick. Totally. I mean, and 
it's all of these levels, everything you said, it's, it's the reputation, it's, it's the recouping, <laughs> the risk. Um, I, you know, both sides have said there are no talks yet. Um, and I take them at their word, particularly because it's this time of year and everyone's focused on winning. Um, but it's, it's one heck of a gamble. Um, and I think that, you know, the guys in the room have joked about kind of needling both Bob and Panarin good naturedly, but all season about, and I, th- I think until, well, I don't know if it's stopped, but you know, there's been some push on Panarin here to say, come on, you know, why, why not stay it, it, all in good fun. But I'm sure that this is a group that's looking to put their best foot forward, not just for the team, but the city. I mean, we heard, you know, Duchesne has a six week old baby and already the other wives of, of the Jackets players are connecting with her, helping her get the support resources that she needs. I'm sure there is a full court press to say, isn't it great here? Don't you want to stay here? You'd love to be here um, <laughs> subtly, but I'm sure I'm sure that best foot forward is happening. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then Dezingle, obviously, with his with his college hockey ties there makes a ton of sense, especially as a bit more of a complimentary player. I imagine that, you know, he's definitely someone who's who's very attainable this summer with the, the Panarin question of this um, is is so interesting to me, just regardless of whether he stays in Columbus or where he goes elsewhere, because obviously I imagine that wherever he does sign, he'll probably get at least that seven year maximum and for quite a, quite a bit of money. And, oh yeah, you know, typically I'm very against, and, and history has shown that usually you should probably just stay away from these unrestricted free agents that are going to command that type of money and that type of term. Because when you're talking about guys who are already entering their late twenties, you're going to be bought, you're going to be buying them for what, they have already done and not necessarily what they will do moving forward. And that's not a great way to be conducting business. But in Panarin's case, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think he's a bit of a unique situation just because he did come over to the NHL so late in the game. And he only really has about like 300 or so NHL games under his belt at this point. And before that, he was playing 40 to 50 games a year in the KHL on a much lighter schedule. So I imagine combining that with his playing style that he might be one of the aberrations to that general rule where it's like i could see him not necessarily being this level of player but still being a very reliable uh point producer into his 30 age 32 age 33 season yeah i I totally agree with that i mean to we didn't see a ton of him in Columbus, right? We, we saw him twice a year for sure. And depending on what you were watching, otherwise you maybe didn't know who he was. And, and I, I still remember that first day of training camp where he comes out and he's just skating around the ice. And, and those of us who were in the, in the stands with the media group, we all were just like Chicago traded this guy. I mean, he, he really is a special, special player and he does seem to defy some of the things you think, would be would be issues particularly for a guy with a little bit of a smaller size I mean, he's not tiny by any means but um the way he commands the ice the way he sees the ice um he is always fit um he takes care of himself it would seem the jackets were prepared to back up the money truck so to speak and i think any team who does this is one of the best bets you're going to have for a player in this situation he's going to get a ton of money but i don't know that a lot of it's going to be undeserved. Yeah. I mean, he's so, uh, like so like slippery and elusive on the ice and all of his motions are so smooth. And I was trying to think back to whether I can ever really recall a time watching him where he got caught, for example, and, and someone really laid even a strong check on him. Like it just seems like for he can kind of, 
pick his spots and skate by without really inducing a lot of punishment in, on, on his body. And then I was looking at uh, some of the numbers that uh, over a natural stature in terms of, you know, hits taken and, and, and hits thrown. And there's obviously a ton of noise in that in terms of how they're recorded in various buildings. But he's like, uh, you know, he's in the bottom five or top five in, in terms of like the fewest hits taken and the fewest hits thrown. And, and I do find that fascinating because it kind of matches up with what you're seeing in terms of, you know, he's not necessarily soft by any means, but it's just right. that he does a great job of not taking unnecessary punishment, whether it's deep and uh, against the boards or, or, or putting himself in these vulnerable, vulnerable situations. Yeah, he's so elusive. And it was funny, I was writing on him earlier this year. And because of course, people were up in arms because he wasn't officially on the score sheet, right? But all of his underlying numbers, right. stuff like our good friend Corey Schneider tracks were just off the charts as always. And I was looking through video and, and you know, the, he'll, he'll be skating with the puck and you can catch his eyes never trans never moving from the goaltender and then he makes this incredible pass completely in a different direction um he just he sees things splits you know it's that old phrase he sees things before they happen and i think to your point that allows him to be where people don't expect him to be and thus stay out of the things the events (laughs) that end up getting measured as hits yeah no you're right i mean he's uh his anticipation is off the charts and he's really fun to watch i can't imagine you know getting to watch him live and up close on a daily basis you probably see stuff every single night that he does where you're like well i I haven't seen a guy do that in a long time or or, or ever so he's uh he's a joy to watch and i'm he's definitely exactly i mean this is kind of captain obvious but it's like (laughs) this blue this blue jackets team has so many especially forwards that i really liked even before they got him uh even when they had brandon sod in terms of guys who were good five on five players who um had good underlying numbers who generated a ton of shots and i've long loved guys like you know boone jenner and 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 josh anderson you go on down the line but they didn't really have that guy who can kind of put it all together and make others significantly better and really carry the, the 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 burden of kind of the other team's opposing defenses keying in on you and still being able to create free out for others. And just what he's done. I mean, last year he became the first Blue Jackets player to ever top 80 points, which sounds remarkable, but is, is actually <laughs> true. And then in this year he's on pace for 91, assuming he doesn't miss any games the rest of the way. And I know scoring's up around the league, but it's like, man, the guys like that are very hard to come by. And the fact that they were able to get him via trade for what they did and the fact that they're taking this risk now is, is I guess, you know, a testament to their situation, but also it's, uh, I, I can see why people, why people are very scared off by the idea of losing a guy like him for nothing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's every fan base has experiences like this and same old insert team name here. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's the the fine line that fans are walking is that, you know, they get this game changing forward, what coaches and front office had said the organization needs, they get it. And then he doesn't want to sign here, <laughs> you know? So it's, there's always that feeling of the other shoe dropping. And that's what makes this whole time right now. So strange is that I don't think fans, heck, I don't know that I know what to do with, <laughs> with all of this because it's, it's such a different situation. I mean, Yarmo Kekalainen is known for, for drafting and loving drafting. And mm. this is the GM who just did what he did. And it's, <laughs> it is a crazy, crazy time. Yeah. I feel like, it was, you know, it was part of it was when Matt Duchesne became available and, and I, I, I don't know the intricacies of how long they were negotiating or, or kind of when this all came together. But I imagine when they got him for what they did, all of a sudden it's like they circle back there. It's like, well, you know, we've already kind of invested 
this much into it and we're a bit pod committed now that we're deciding to keep Panarin and keep Abrovsky and then the Ryan Dezingle thing it's like at this point what are what are two more second round picks and we're considering everything we've invested and we were sort of you know we're pod committed to this we should see it through and the reward ultimately uh, exceeds the potential risk assuming they are able to win a playoff series or two. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be funny to, I mean, assuming no further moves get made and they go into this year's draft with what they have, it's, it's going to be funny because for not the best of reasons, this is a city that's used to a draft party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, a, this is a city that's used to, Hey, we you know, are we looking at, you know, who's the best prospect? Who should we be looking at? And that kind of noise isn't happening. And what's cool about that is there isn't a huge fan base part of the fan base that remembers that, which speaks to how much it's grown, Mm -hmm. but you can still see some people who are kind of like, wait, aren't I supposed to be thinking about, you know, who's the next young guy who we're supposed to be worried about? And when's the draft party? These are things that aren't, aren't in the conversation anymore. And it, it, that feels weird to see that transition going on too. Yeah. That would, I mean, assuming they don't add any more picks, that's going to be the most depressing draft party ever this year. It's like, oh, who are we going to get in the third round at 100th overall? I can't wait to see what happens there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's going to be good. Obviously, uh, they're bigger first to fry right now. Um, Allison, let's take a quick break here. I'm going to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to pick up this conversation on the other things. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek. SeatGeek knows full well that getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. And that's why SeatGeek's the way to go, because SeatGeek's going to do all the work for you. They're going to pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to the action for a great value. They're designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever before. They're going to search multiple ticket sites and pull out all the available seats for you, and then they're going to grade every one of those tickets based on value, laying them out in this easy-to-use color-coded map that makes it really easy to identify the best seats to fit your budget. Plus, every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence knowing that what you pay for is what you're going to get. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've found that it's the easiest way to shop for tickets. Unfortunately, now with the trade deadline and this stretch run coming up with uh, the postseason just around the corner, I'm going to be pretty busy with work, churning out content for you guys to enjoy. So I won't have too much time to be going out there and uh, enjoying live events, but you should definitely do so. I mean, SeatGeek's going to make it easy for you in just a couple clicks and a couple minutes. You'll be able to get tickets to whatever you want to go see. And obviously, if you're a fan of a team uh, locally that went out and made a big splash trade at the trade deadline, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of excitement to go see that person in action and see that person in your uniform. And so this is a great time to go and do so before prices really get escalated for the uh, postseason. And as my listener, uh, you're actually going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you go and shop with them today. So to claim that and get in on the fun, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Allison Lucan and the Hockey PDO cast. Um, yeah, so obviously, I mean, you mentioned the fact that I imagine part of uh, the decision-making process here and a driving factor for it was how weak or or how wide open the Metro division is. I think the other one is, 
You know, I think this is a team that is uniquely positioned to make a move like this because while obviously having, uh, you know, those first round picks and, and those second round picks certainly goes a long way to uh, making sure you don't fall behind or you don't have a dead period in terms of your developmental process and you can keep adding and adding to the system and potentially uncovering guys who can come and play for you and contribute uh, and be productive on, on ELCs. Well, I completely acknowledge that. Like you do look at this team and even assuming, let's say, worst case scenario, every single one of these UFAs leaves this summer, you still look at a core that is pretty much for the most part beyond Zach Wierenski and I guess Ryan Murray is under contract for very reasonable prices. And a lot of these guys are uh, U25. And, and so it's not having those first round picks hurts, certainly, but at the same time, there is a lot to build around here. And obviously, if all four of those guys do leave and you don't retain them, that opens up a pretty significant part of your cap space for you to go out and get creative and add talent through different means. Yes, absolutely. The, the, and what I like, too, is the core isn't just young. They seem to be really tight, hmm. um, which, which, again, when you're looking at an organization that potentially loses at least two guys who've been here for a while – Seeing that that buy-in and that investment, not to sound you know overly fluffy about things, but you know Cam Atkinson signs long-term here and, and it has made Columbus's home. He moved here with his family, so to see that kind of buy-in, I think, also speaks to what you're saying is that this is a group that can stick together, that wants to win here. Um, the the window is is clearly now open, right, for this group, and and particularly on the back end. And, and quite frankly, in goal, I mean, there's a lot of anticipation um, with what could be coming in net. It's hard because the best talent is in Europe right now, but all reports speak well of both Elvis Merzlik and Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. <laughs> and, and I've been someone who I've been intrigued by ever since they drafted him is Daniil Tarasov. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised I did a piece on the pipeline um, going into the deadline. I was surprised how many people I spoke to who really know goaltending who were way high on Tarasov, higher than I thought. Um, and that, I think, is really good when you're about to lose, most likely, a player like Sergei Bobrovsky, to know that, in theory, you've got even a couple options to backstop the group. Um, that's huge, too, in terms of how young this team is and how good it can be. Oh, for sure. I know. Uh, I know your colleague Corey Prodman is very high on him in particular, and, and so hugely uh, high. <laughs> I trust him certainly. I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. With a lot of these prospects, and especially the guys who are playing overseas, it's not like I'm watching them very closely on a nightly basis. It's a lot of box score scouting, and you're sort of talking to people and trying to figure out what's going on and whether are there any contextual factors or how they look, and and you read a lot about it. So I do have to acknowledge that. But at the same time, based on like my understanding of the system and I actually think it's a it's a sneaky good one in terms of especially the way they've gone about accumulating assets in the later rounds and maybe that should give hope to Blue Jackets fans that even if they are going to be without their first and second round picks over the next couple of years under Yarmo they have constantly found ways to get guys in the third, fourth, fifth round that wind up outproducing their draft slot. Um, there's a lot of guys here that I really like, and that's why I know there's certain people that are very high on Vitaly Abramov and, and sort mm-hmm. of, especially based on how he did in the QM, QM, uh, in the queue for a couple of years ago and the points he produced there. Uh, they were very high on him and excited for him to be on, on the Ottawa Senators now as a return in that, in that package. There's a bunch of guys in the system that I personally preferred before that, and that's why I was okay with that Duchesne trade, just because um, I felt like they didn't 
didn't give up any of the prospects that I really, really love in there. And there's a number of them and they retained all those guys. And I imagine that factors into the decision-making process as well, where it's like, okay, if we lose a bunch of these guys in free agency, we potentially have some guys in the system that can eventually come up and replace at least some of that production. Yeah. And I think it's it, for, for people like us who look at numbers and things like that, to, to your point earlier, it's, it gets to be hard because we don't have as advanced of data coming from these guys in the, in the development systems, particularly overseas for good. I mean, thank goodness the AHL, how many years in is finally going to release time on ice now? I mean, that's crazy. I know. Um, but you know, I think, I think part of it too is familiarity is that, I mean, Daniil Tarasov has never stepped on ice for a blue jackets development camp. And so a lot of these guys are, are players that fans don't know. I mean, Vitaly Abramov, it wasn't just his point production. This was, you know, he's walking around with a huge smile on his face and he's, he's got a great personality and he's easy to like. And, and he's a known entity just in terms of the player as a person. Hmm. And I think that drives some reaction for people because, as you said, it takes a lot of digging and commitment to find out what the reality is behind a lot of these guys at these lower levels. Um, and I'll admit my first reaction was, a, Ooh, that feels a little bit like an overpay, uh, when I heard the trade, but to your point, I had to kind of go back, look at, look at the full system and say, Oh, you know what? That that's a fair price. Um, I would have loved to have had a, a stone deal where there was also a signature on a piece of paper, right. <laughs> coming. Yes. but, but I agree with you in terms of the prospect side price. Um, definitely fair. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, a Kirill Marchenko who I really like or an Alexander Texier, they have a bunch of guys. And I think the crown jewel of the system, and, you know, I wrote about this on ESPN before and it actually went out like hours before the trade. So, um, uh, I, thought that Columbus was going to go after Duchesne even before it was announced. And I sort of pinpointed it as a first, a conditional first, assuming he re-signed. And then I thought that Ottawa was going to try and lure a guy like Emil Bemstrom from them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's obviously a guy whose stock has risen significantly since his draft year. And uh, he exploded onto the scene and, and was doing remarkably well in the World Juniors this year. And I think a lot of people became familiar with him and sort of how potent he was as a goal scorer. But I mean, now, I mean, if you if you just look at his production uh, in the Swedish Elite League, I mean, he's top 10 all time in terms of goals per game for a, a U19 player with some pretty elite company, including being just behind Elias Pettersson at the same point of his career. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything, but they do have guys like that that I'm still exceedingly excited about. And so when you draft as well as they do, and this is what I keep coming back to with it's, it's a common theme here in Vancouver where everyone constantly praises Jim Benning's drafting record and, and sort of his ability to pick out talent and, and they excuse him never having a volume of draft picks, especially in the later rounds because he hits on his first round picks. And it's like, well, the drafting is a very, uh, you know, inexact science. And I think having as many picks in the third, fourth round as possible gives you an extra chance to uncover some of these other guys and, and give yourself a chance to really improve your system. And the Blue Jackets have, for over the past couple of years, it's seemingly at least every year, hit a home run on one of these uh, picks outside the first round. And that makes it easier to make a trade like this down the line. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the, the poster child is Cam Atkinson, who right. was before Yarmo's time, but sixth round pick, right? I think he was sixth in the sixth and he knows it. He'll tell you <laughs> when you ask. But I, I mean, even, you know, we look here at uh, Marcus Nudavara. Right. I mean, late, late, late pick. And he, he struggled a little bit here of late, but I mean, he, he's, I think, going to be a top four defenseman in the NHL for a while. And 
to your point to find that talent or if, if you're feeling like there's a blip, I mean, who's to say that doesn't get packaged for something else, right? So it's all currency. And, and as long as you have strong asset management, whatever strategy that takes, you're going to be fine. It, it just might be different. I mean, this is an organization too that has done a lot of free agent signing. I mean, Eric Robinson is playing with this club right now regularly, signed out of college, undrafted last spring. And now here he is playing on, on a team with this caliber of talent like we were talking about. So they're finding skill and what they need for the group in a lot of different ways, which is reassuring to yes. people who were freaking out about all those picks that just left. Absolutely, yes. No, that's the mark of a good management team. Um, we, you know, we, we touched on this in the, on the beginning and we haven't really gone into it yet, so I, I think we should talk about Sergei Bobrovsky a little bit in the year he's had and sort of what's next for him. And, I mean, he's had a strong February, obviously, prior to this recent Pens game. He had a couple of back-to-back shutouts, including uh, a really good-looking one against a, a potent offensive Sharks team. But at the same time, you look at his at the overall package for this season, and it's still, you know, he has a 907 save percentage for the year. He has a negative goal saved above average. Like, any way you slice it, uh, it certainly is a far departure from what we've come to expect from him. And then now when you're talking about a guy who's going to be turning 31 before the start of next season, and you hear about some of the potential uh, money that's going to be thrown at him by a team like the Panthers that might be interested or about the Islanders potentially, if they move off of Robin Leonard this summer, um, you know, I think we're probably in agreement about not or being reluctant to pay goalies, especially long-term given the volatility of the position and unpredictability. Um, so I'm kind of curious in terms of what the confidence level is with him right now and whether he can regain the form. And I imagine, obviously, he's not a guy who's had a particularly long track record of postseason success either. So I'm not sure just like what the confidence level is with him and sort of how um, he's being perceived in that market as opposed to a Panarin who, despite the fact that I imagine fans might be angry with that he hasn't re-signed already or that he might leave this summer, is at least having a great season if it is his final one in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, there's the performance side of it for sure. And there's also, I mean, it, the, the the unfortunate thing for Bob versus Panarin is that Bob has actually spoken <laughs> to the press. He has spoken to us for, for many years now. Um, and Panarin still does not. Um, no speak English, um, although he finally came out and and did speak to us when we were on the road in Vegas after he switched his agent. So that lack of exposure or having words dissected um, is something Panarin's been able to avoid. And I think that feeds into, to your point, perception of the player. Um, Bobrovsky is going to get his money, like you said. And ultimately, I think any team that wants him is going to look past this season. But it was also very easy to say Bobrovsky has been playing quite well here of late, and then in come the Penguins, a team that's kicked this group out twice <laughs> of the mm-hmm. postseason, and, and there's a little bit of a struggle there. Now, I'm not going to hang every single one of the goals on him in that game, but you know, it's, it is that idea of being great, but then being really great and stepping up and, and stealing one when your team can't or backstopping your team through a difficult game where you take the stage. And he has done that in the past. He hasn't really had more than a couple of those this year. And, you know, for, for a player, and, and I don't envy the position because I agree with you. This is, he is a tremendous talent, but he's on the wrong side of 30. And 
this isn't a guy you're going to want to pay top dollar for eight years. And of course, that's what he wants, right. as he should. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he's he is stressed because his situation is different than Panarin's in in that way. And I, I don't blame him if he is. And who's to say if that's affecting him? I don't know. He would never admit to that. Um, but it it's going to be interesting because Panarin's going to leave with, I think, unless this team does something incredible postseason with Bobrovsky and that Panarin's going to leave the more beloved player, even though Bobrovsky is the player who had a lot more to do with getting this team to where it is now. And who's to say time doesn't solve that problem? I mean, Rick Nash just came in after his retirement and got standing ovations and was booed when he was with the Rangers. So um, hopefully that perspective comes around. But I do think perception-wise, fans feel burned um, by hanging the postseason on him. Um, They feel burned by his performance this year. They feel burned by saying, I don't want to be here. Um, And and they're they're holding on to that a little bit. And unless, again, like I said, he does something just spectacular – they love him, but I think they feel, like I said, burned by some of this stuff, and it's easier to be have negative emotion towards him over Panarin. Yeah, and I imagine, I mean, if you're obviously, it's always a risky proposition where you're trying to sort of put hit yourself in in his headspace and and his psyche and sort of what he's looking for moving forward. I mean, with, you know, he's turning thirty one, and the last deal he signed with Columbus, um, while it was. Uh, very generous on the uh, you know on the cap hit side. It was only a, a four year deal, I believe. So I imagine just based on where he's at in his career now and sort of the previous deals he has signed, like he's probably going to be looking to sort of cash in here and 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 sign a long term sure. deal that's going to yeah. set him up and set his family up for the rest of of his life. But I remember you and I talked about this last time I had you on, and and I've given it some thoughts since in terms of. Uh, any kind of historical precedents or parallels in, in, that we've recently seen in terms of guys that have at this position in the, in the goaltending position that have switched teams in the summer and signed a lucrative deal. And the only two I could come up with were the Ben Bishop one that he that signed recently with, uh, mm-hmm. with that Dallas and Ryan Miller, which was a $6 million cap hit, but only for three seasons. And he was already uh, kind of considered to be on the downswing of his career so he wasn't necessarily still considered to be a star or one of the top goalies in the league and it's it really is an unprecedented situation and it it also complicates it based on this year he has now and i imagine as you said that there's going to be at least one team out there that is going to look past this season and bet on the track record that came before it and think that they're going to get that goalie instead and be willing to pay the price for it but it is a complicating factor because obviously um like I love him. I think I think what since the moment he came into Columbus in in 2012 or 2013, he's been the for my money the best slash most consistent goalie in the league since. And this year is a very far departure, and it's worrisome given the age and given some of the injuries he's accrued. And I'm just I'm going to be fascinated to see what the market is like going to be um, in terms of developing for him and whether he will be packaged with Panarin and whether they'll wind up in the same spot or, or who's going to be throwing the money at him. Yeah. It's a, you know, we, we have done this exercise so many times of who, who wants him and who's going to pay him and who on that list is the same. And then who on that list is, is a place or a team where he wants to go. Right. right? Um, You know, I've said this about Panarin as well in that, um, I will never begrudge 
a free agent the right to choose to play wherever they want for whatever reason they want to play. And if it, if his heart is taking him to a place like Florida, that's been rumored to be one of his points of consideration. Great. But with all respect to the Panthers organization, you know, Artemi Panarin is not a player who has been on a losing team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's the flip of this. We, early on, we heard the Islanders maybe for Bob, but now they have some positive looking signs in net that they can get for a lot cheaper. Right. What's Calgary going to do? But does Bob want to go to Calgary? What's Edmonton going to do? But does Bob want to go to Edmonton? You know, to, to put all these pieces together and to, if the market ends up being a team that is looking to do what the Jackets did, which is build from the net out, you get your money, but is the, is the game, is the play what you want to withstand for the length of that contract too? And these guys, as we know, are competitors. They want to win. They want to go all the way. And that's a hard pill to swallow too, I think, when it comes to who's going to pay me and where do I want to be and, oh, what does this game look like for me for the duration of, of these seven years? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, obviously everyone, we're not breaking ground here and saying that the goaltending position is a very valuable and important one and, <laughs> and it generally dictates how a team's going to do, but it, it really does um, hammer that point home when you look around the league and you sort of look at where certain teams stand this year and what their goaltending situation is because there's very few uh, truly you know, great or, or really, uh, legitimately competitive teams that have a very volatile goaltending position. Like even a team like San Jose, at least has Martin Jones, they're financially committed to him. So I can't see that being a a logical destination as you're, you're right. I think Calgary, especially based on the way they've played this year, um, and with the skaters they have would be a fascinating one, but I'm not sure how appealing that is to Bobrovsky as a landing spot. And so it, it is a very different situation from Panarin, whereas, Regardless of a team's financial situation, if Artemi Panarin calls you or his agent calls you and says, I want to come play for this team, you sign him and you figure out the logistics afterwards. <laughs> Whereas for Bobrovsky, it is going to be, I assume, a very limited market and trying to line that up with where he actually wants to play is going to be a pretty sick, tricky situation for both him and his agent. Yeah, and that's where, it, it, and I, this is with full respect to the agent as well. I know nothing to be other than up and up with him in, in all of his dealings with all the clubs, but if you're trying to do, as you said, a package deal, how do you make sure to represent the best interests of both of these players? Because you do want to get that term and money for Bob, you know, and you don't want to do that at the cost of, well, I'll give you our, and I'm way oversimplifying, but well, I'll get our Temi Panarin to sign here if you do this for Bob. And that's a tricky situation too, I feel like, in that how do you make sure that both guys are getting the very best shake they can get mm-hmm. when you have it? And, and again, this is nothing to do with Bobrovsky as a player or what he's earned, but it's a harder sell because of his age and because of what he deservedly wants to sign for. Yeah. And I imagine out of all these guys, um, he has the most to gain or lose based on his performance here in the final 20 regular season games and then however many games the Blue Jackets potentially play in the playoffs because obviously um, a strong performance here would go a long way towards potentially buying some more goodwill or or confidence with a potential buyer this summer Um, and and for this Blue Jackets team obviously based on what they've invested in this season at the deadline I mean you look at it and 
they're not world beaters by any means, but what, they're like 11th or 12th in shot share. They're 13th in high danger attempts at five on five. Like all the underlying numbers by the skaters are there. It's just that they, at this season, have been bottom 10 in save percentage in both five on five and, and overall in all situations. And that's a really hard thing to make up for. And I'd feel a lot more confident if I at least was assured that they were going to get league average goaltending the rest of the way in terms of prognosticating them to be one of those teams that does make the playoffs. Yeah, and who would have ever thought that's how you'd describe exactly. the Columbus yes, I know, right? This <laughs> offensive powerhouse that just can't get the goaltending. I, every time I look, I'm like, oh, well, their PDO is fine because of their shooting percentage. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. But, um, you know, and, and I don't wonder if that's not part of this strategy for the front office, too, is they, they know exactly what you said, which is Bobrovsky in particular, and, and now who's to say maybe even Duchesne, they're playing to get the maximum of what they can get this next contract, regardless of where it is. And what better carrot to put in front of a player to play their best (laughs) than that? Um, Particularly if you're anticipating changing clubs. I mean, that's, I wouldn't be surprised if that is part of what in t- what went into their decision making. Oh, for sure. That's uh, that seems like quite a, a potent uh, motivating factor, no doubt about it. <laughs> um, so, one thing that I did notice when I was doing my research for this and, and really diving into the Blue Jackets numbers is, and this isn't a new trend because it, it feels like it has been going on for a while now, but the power play struggles. Um, you know, they're twenty six in the power play this year, and. It's mind-blowing to me because I remember, I guess, what was it, two years ago now when they were just absolutely devastating on the power play in in that Sam Gagne season, maybe three years ago now. But since then, it's been a big struggle. And I I was kind of hoping you'd have some more answers in terms of what is going on there in terms of why those struggles continue to persist. Because if you look at the talent itself with Pierre-Luc Dubois and that front presence and Panarin as sort of the decision maker on the half wall and even Cam Atkinson as a trigger man, like all of the pieces personnel wise seem like they should line up with a team that is at least in the top half of the league. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. Is it as simple as um, they're just a bit too reliant on the defensemen they have being the people who are taking the shots from the point or is there something else going on? Yeah, and I, and I am by no means a special teams expert, although I was crazy enough to sit down and track every single power play about halfway <laughs> through this year to see if I could find some stuff. Um, it, it's it's strange because, as you said, two years ago, they were clicking along, you know, tops in the leagues, and, and I'll never forget it. It was a Carolina game at home at Nationwide Arena, and they just stymied that power play, and it was literally almost like they broke it, and <laughs> it never worked again. Right. Um, but, but there's been, a from a true things we can point to, um, the departure of Sam Gagne was big. Um, he played that pivot like no one else has been able to replicate, at least in this power play configuration with this group of players. Um, they cannot, they have not been able to really successfully get that puck into the middle um, and distribute it back out as much as they did when he was here. They also were really, their, their entries and regrouping just took forever, like 20 seconds sometimes. It was just maddening um, how long it would take if, if they couldn't maintain uh, zone time or zone control. That puck was out and it took forever. They had the drop pass entry, which was which also became maddening. Um, and it, it did come down to, it, it was almost like this group of players went out there and it was, they were too affected by the fact that they were on the power play that was struggling. There was not rapid passing. There was not accurate passing. 
There was a lot of holding on to the puck so that by the time you decided to move it, either via pass or shot, any possible lane had closed. Um, there was no kind of free-flowing movement to get the penalty kill players to be stymied or overcommitting or moving too far one way or the other. Heaven forbid the goalie move. Um, so there was just kind of a, a passiveness and a lack of aggression from these guys. They brought in Martin St. Louis as a consultant. Mm. After off- the is he like an offensive coordinator, kind of like uh, what, what well, the Kings did? or it, it, Not even, really. He, he So he's not here. He's been in Columbus twice. Um, he still wants to be able to coach his sons at home, mm. um, but obviously has a strong relationship with Torts. He is also um, a friend, a good friend, a close friend of Cam Atkinson. Um, so I'm sure it wasn't like this, this came out of the blue to him, but... He came in, worked with the guys. The way that, the only thing that the players and the coaches will tell us is that it really was more about hearing the message from a different voice and from someone who's quote unquote played the game. Um, and I believe there's value in that. I believe there's value in finding the right way to communicate something so it gets through, whether that be a different person or a different delivery method or what have you. Um, they've started to look a little bit more free, but it, it's almost like, uh, St. Louis is just like special advisor to the head coach. Right. Um, he's here every once in a while. All the guys have his number. Um, it sounds like there's a couple players that Torts has really asked him to kind of get through to. Um, Alexander Wenberg and uh, Duclair were two that Torts did mention by name um, in that situation. But he also seems to be a guy that he, when he came in the first time, he put his cell phone number up on the whiteboard in the locker room. And it sounds like some guys are taking advantage of that. Um, and I asked Nick Felino, I said, you know, no disrespect to torts, but is, is a release like that helpful <laughs> it, in, in a situation like this with a coach like this and with expectations like this? And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, you know, a lot of players have those kind of networks, but a lot don't. And so for any player to know for a fact, you can call this person in confidence for counsel, for venting, for what have you, um, has been very valuable to them as well. Well, especially with the power play, I do firmly believe this. Obviously, I think talent will generally win out and there's only so much you can do unless you have at least a certain baseline level of it. But on the power play, I mean, I think so much of it, um, not necessarily like, like system or structure, but just sort of having a plan in terms of what you want to execute and it being the right one goes such a long way in this league. And I still find that, um, while everyone obviously has someone who's running their power play and, and they are investing resources in it, just based on how big of a difference it can conceivably make in a league where there's so little room for error and, and, and such a small margin, um, it feels like that still is a bit of a, an untapped area where if you find a way to increase your power play efficiency by a certain level, um, through through the through the means of coaching, not even necessarily investing a lot of resources in in, in player, um, it could go such a long way to bettering your overall result. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it was I'll never forget last year when everyone's point totals were down. You know, you start digging in. What's going on? What's wrong? And for players like Cam Atkinson and Alexander Wenberg, it literally was a situation of they're not scoring on the power play, yep. and how significant of a contribution. To your point, that wasn't just at the individual level, but at the team level. Um, and, you know, that is that is one of the messages that Torts hammers home, as, as everyone well knows, that you can't go deep in the postseason with a dysfunctional power play. <laughs> it's just not going to, you're, you're going to waste such valuable and necessary opportunities. So um, they seem to be finding a little bit more success of late, uh, which is encouraging, but um, 
the end of year numbers are not going to look good for this group because it was so bad for so long. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Alexander Wimber is a good guy to bring up for that, obviously, right? I think the, the big year he had where he had nearly, uh, what, 60 points or so. He had 20, yeah. 20 power play assists, and obviously basically removing that entirely from the equation for him goes uh, makes things a lot more difficult. Um, oh, well, one more thing on the goaltending before we get out of here. Um, let's assume that Bobrovsky does walk this summer and, and is playing somewhere else next season. How much of an appetite do you think there is for potentially, I assume that Elvis will be coming uh, over a season. I cannot wait for that. And I really hope he's in our lives <laughs> full time. Um, how much of an appetite do you think there is for exploring having an, a relatively unproven duo net of him and, and Jonas Corposalo um, versus potentially going out and bringing in some other veteran who could play 30 to 50 games and, and, and split duties with one of those guys, whoever wins out, out out in camp, because for years now, it's felt like they've been waiting for Corpusalo to kind of take the reins here and um, give them some level of confidence that he can be the number one guy once Bobrovsky is out of the picture. And for the past year and change or so, I think the results have been pretty underwhelming and acknowledging that he's in a pretty tricky situation where he doesn't get to play much and he's still a young guy. And at that position, that could be a, a pretty tricky thing to deal with. Yeah, you nailed it with what Corpusalo's situation is. They've been waiting, and he hasn't seized it. So he still may become that number one, but he isn't yet. Um, and, and even if Elvis comes over this year, I would not be surprised to see them sign a veteran in the offseason and either start the season with that person and Corpion Net with Elvis seasoning and getting hungrier and hungrier in Cleveland with the AHL club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually maybe that tandem switches up, but unless Elvis comes over here and just blows the doors off and, and honestly, it'd have to be for quite a large sample of games too. I mean, he comes, if he comes in and has two great games, you can't say, Oh, we're good to go. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, I think the chances are, are pretty likely that, we see some free agent one year deal for next year. And then it's two years from now where as, as many a jacket fan would like to see Elvis uh, enters the building. Yes. Oh my God. I, oh, that's all I want now. I, I want Elvis Merzink in my <laughs> life and I want him to be just as good as he's looked. I mean, obviously it's, and you know, that we have kind of some of these translation factors and, and trying to predict how performance in different leagues will look at the NHL. But I think, Regardless, like it's this is a particularly uh, difficult one to translate, just because the Swiss league, uh, I imagine, the shooting talent he's facing on a nightly basis isn't anywhere near up to par to what he would be play- facing at the NHL level. At the same time, he's been so good for so long now, and I'm not sure how much of it I'm being clouded just by the fact that he has such a cool name. But God, I hope, I hope, I hope he's the answer. <laughs> well, and as does everyone. I mean, and you know, by all accounts, I, I talked to his goaltending coach. Last year, uh, my colleague Tom Reed did a great story on on him just as a human, and Catherine Silverman did a great breakdown of where he is technically right now. But he's really been making some changes both on the ice and off, um, and I, it bodes well. But yes, I mean the the name, the story, the the personality. I mean, the first thing fans knew about this guy was that he did these insane uh, win celebrations on the ice, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, and, and there's there's nothing, at least based on what people know, to not like about him. And and as we were discussing earlier, when you talk about building up this fan base, building up this organization, I mean, it's a marketing dream <laughs> for yeah. goodness' sake. So. Um, Many of people, and and again, back to draft and develop, um, it would be a home run on like 15 different levels for him to assume the net in two years. Well, if I know one thing about the NHL, it's that 
people around here love eccentric post game celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> they just love it. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it, Allison. This was a blast. I'm really glad we got to got to do this. Is there um, is there anything else we missed? Obviously, you uh, you follow the team quite closely, so you're kind of on on top of all the storylines. But I feel like we we did most of it, right? Yeah, we did most of it. I think it's one thing I've come to realize is you know if you're if people are curious about this team, take some time to look past kind of the splash. Um, Cam Atkinson is having a ridiculously good yeah, year. 35 goals uh, right now, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, career high. Ty's a career high with 20 games left. And uh, Seth Jones, I continue to beat the Seth Jones drum. He is, we talked about Panarin being a joy to watch. That guy's a joy to watch. And if he isn't in Norris conversations sooner rather than later, um, people just aren't paying enough attention. But th- there's more happening to your point of the young core and the talent here than than just Panarin and Bob and Duchesne. <laughs> yes. No, there is plenty. Um, all right. Well, this was a blast. Do you want to plug some stuff? What uh, What are you working on these days? Obviously, this team hasn't given you much to write about in, in the past couple <laughs> of weeks. So I don't know what you are up to these days, but uh, let the listeners know. <laughs> well, I am actually a, a putting the finishing touches here on kind of a recap um, of the deadline moves. And uh, we'll just keep pinging away at what this group looks like after they get some games under their belt, um, also following the action at the Ohio State level, both the men's and the women's team are pretty talented. So those are some fun storylines to watch Awesome, as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend everyone check out your work. And uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. And hopefully uh, we'll, we'll reconvene at some point. Obviously, um, regardless of the result, there's going to be plenty to talk about whether they make the playoffs or not. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, it's always an honor to be on with you. So I appreciate you having me back and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Chat scene, Allison. Before we get out of here, I did want to quickly ask everyone for a favor that's listening to today's episode of the Hockey Cast. If you could take a second out of your day to go and leave a positive five-star rating and review on iTunes for the show, that would be greatly appreciated. I know a ton of you have already done so. I believe we're up to uh, 414 or so reviews on there and most of them are five stars and most of them have funny uh, inside jokes or comments from the podcast or just really kind words and I appreciate every one of them and hopefully we can get a few more so we can keep the PDO cast up high on the sports and recreations charts. And if iTunes, for whatever reason, is in your cup of tea. Um, let me recommend going over to Spotify and listening to the PDO cast there. Uh, we've recently joined the brigade of podcasts to make the leap there and start posting our shows. And I believe pretty much everyone um, in the catalog is there right now. So you can go back and listen to some of the old episodes and make fun of all the stuff we got wrong. Um, or maybe you'll enjoy them. Who knows? But regardless, um, just go and subscribe and follow the show there. Uh, that helps as well. Um, and yeah, that's going to be it for today's episode of the PDO cast. I appreciate everyone um, taking the time and listening. There's going to be a ton of new shows coming down the pike here um, in the stretch run as we look ahead to the postseason and all the races that are to come. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And with that said, uh, we're going to get out of here. We're going to play the outro music and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.